Isaiah 9.6 says, To us a son is given. John 3.16 tells us who gave the son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God bless you all and welcome back to another episode of Unlocking Scripture. I'm your host, Justin Torres. You know, with the holiday season coming up and Christmas right around the corner, it's always a good time to remember why we celebrate the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ and, you know, just kind of give attention and reflect on God and what he has done, who he is, and just be grateful for the fact that he sent his only son to die in our place to not only die in our place, actually, but to live as us, as though we should have lived, and to give us his life. So, um, you know, this was something that I was sharing with my church on Sunday, and we were talking about it on how, you know, the Bible says that God is, well, Jesus, he's had the title of the Son of Man and Son of God, and how those two titles are used throughout the Gospels in, in various different ways, but they're actually opposite. The Son of Man is normally used when speaking of Jesus or Jesus speaking of himself in his human form or as a servant. And Son of God, on the other hand, is used when it's talking about Jesus and his divinity actually being God. And so when we think about Christmas and we think about the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, there had to be a reason why Jesus even came into the picture and he had to come here with a purpose. So when we look back, and this is where it takes us all back to just the beginning and of the world, Genesis 1.31, it says that God had made the world in six days and then he rested on the seventh. But Genesis 1.31 gives us a reflection of that. It says, and God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So right here in this context, it says that it was very good that the creation, everything, when it was done, God said it was very good. So that means that there was nothing missing in it. There was nothing broken. There was no presence of evil in the world. Everything was perfect and there was no need to change anything. Everything was perfect the way God had made it. But then what ends up happening is that sin came into the world. We fell into that deception of the enemy, took part of something that God clearly said not to take part of and sin was brought into the world. So then we go over to Genesis 3.15, and we get to see a picture of what happens. Man brings sin, man brings death, and God starts to give the judgment of that. He judges the serpent, and then he gives the consequences over to man and, uh, and woman, and to, to humankind in general. But this is what he says in the midst of that, that makes it a little bit, um, I guess we would say there's a catch behind it because this is, let's just read the verse. It says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So right here we see man brought sin and death, but God brought a savior. Even in the midst of that judgment, even in the midst of the consequence, God promises a savior that will come and, and redeem his people. And what it says about that savior is, you know, God is talking to the serpent here and he says, you, you will bruise his heel, 
that he's going to be the one to bruise your head. He's going to crush your head. So Jesus, when he comes into the world, he goes and lives his life and he, he does his public ministry. But ultimately, the main purpose of why Jesus was here was to get on that cross because it was through his death and resurrection that we would receive salvation. And so the enemy would bruise his heel by having him go on a cross, but doesn't realize that Colossians says that by getting on that cross, Jesus has made a public spectacle of Satan and triumphs over him. And that's how he crushes his head. By that bruise to his heel, he gets his head crushed. So God is good. And when we look at this verse, we see the promise of an offspring. That's the key word. It says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. That's the first indication prophetically of a Messiah coming that will be the Redeemer. And this will be the form of a person. There will be a person that will come and be the Redeemer. And so then we get, start to get into some of these prophecies. And this all explains why we celebrate Christ, because he is the Redeemer. He is the Savior of the world. And this is the time we celebrate his birth. So the prophecies come in. We look at Isaiah 9, 6. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called the Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The first thing that you see is that there's a child that's being given. There's a child that's born, so that tells us that there's a human child that's coming. This is not just um, an elaboration. This is not uh, an analogy. It's a literal child and a literal son. But look at the language. It says, for to us, a child is born. That means that this is a child that's given to us. And then it says this, to us, a son is given. So somebody has to give a son. And, and who is he given to? He's given the son to us. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. There's two particular titles in these four that stand out to me. Is that one, this child will be called mighty God. Jesus said before Abraham was, I am, making himself equal with God. There was no confusion on that verse, he made himself God. He claimed to be God by quoting that. Then you see everlasting father. Keep in mind that this is a verse out of the Old Testament. There's only one father that is recognized throughout this time, and that's God the Father. He is the only one that any Jew would say is the everlasting father. The only God that they're going to acknowledge is God the Father. And so then we go to John 3.16 and we see its fulfillment. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. By believing in the son that God has given, we have eternal life. But again, look at the language. Isaiah 9.6 says, to us a son is given. John 3.16 tells us who gave the son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Direct fulfillment of that prophecy is that Jesus is the Son of God that God the Father has given us so that way we could be saved and have eternal life. And we go back to Isaiah 7, 14 now. And this is the sign that the Lord gives. It says, 
Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. There's consistency throughout all these prophecies that it's a child that's going to be born, and that it's going to be a son, and this son will be God himself incarnate. As it says, Mighty God, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is the Son of God. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And the name Emmanuel means God is with us. Now we see the direct fulfillment of that in Luke 1.27. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So we got the virgin. Her name was Mary. Luke one thirty one it says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. A lot of people argue about the Emmanuel and Jesus name, and they ask, you know, if his name was supposed to be Emmanuel, how come his name came out to be Jesus? And that's because it's actually the same name. Both of them mean God is with us. Now, the reason why you see different... Um, different names the way it looks like that is because the Old Testament was written in Hebrew and the New Testament was written in Greek. And so that's why you see a different translation of the name. Later on, the Old Testament was translated in Greek, which is known as the Septuagint. And it's the same exact name. Jesus alone, that name means that God is with us and it means that God is our salvation. That's a whole nother teaching for itself, but it's consistent. Jesus is Emmanuel. Emmanuel is Jesus. And so when we look at Isaiah, again, the prophecy of who Jesus is to be, his, what his life is supposed to be like, his first coming is that of the suffering servant. You can read about that in Isaiah 55. He is the suffering servant. And the reasons why the Jews at the time, even the Jews today, have rejected Jesus is because the Jews have always been fixated on what would be Jesus' second coming. They've always pictured a Messiah to be a man that's going to come in and redeem Israel using military force, using governing power, and set up an actual kingdom here on earth. And that's what Jesus does do in the future when he comes back to redeem Israel and we come back with him as his church and set up the millennial reign. But that's in the future. That's his second coming. His first coming they missed. But the Gentiles seen his first coming. And some of those who God has chosen to reveal that to. But this is what it says about his life. Isaiah 53, 4-5 says, Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God. A punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion crushed for our sins he was beaten so we could be whole he was whipped so we could be healed now the the thing about this verse is that it says and we thought his troubles were a punishment from god a punishment for his own sins the bible actually says that he who knew no sin became sin so that way we could be the righteousness of god so jesus was not put on the cross because of anybody's sin well because of his own sin he was put on the cross for our sins it was our sins that put the Son of God on the cross, but he willfully took it so that way we can be made whole. It wasn't that we condemned him. We don't have the ability to do that. 
He took on our sins. It says it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. In other translations, it says he was um, wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, and by his stripes we are healed. So Jesus went on that cross for you and me, and which is why we celebrate Christmas, the birth of Christ, because Jesus went on that cross for me. God, in his mercy and his love, decided to send his son. Only his son could fit the criteria of living a sinless, perfect life pleasing to God, and who would then go on the cross for you and for me to give his life as a ransom for many, so that way if we believe in him, we would have eternal life. That's what the Bible says, John 3, 16. If you believe in the Son, you'll have eternal life. And we see the direct fulfillment of this prophecy from Isaiah in Matthew 8, 16-17. It says, That evening, many demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. He cast out the evil spirits with a simple command, and he healed all the sick. This fulfilled the word of the Lord through the prophet Isaiah, who said, He took our sicknesses and removed our diseases. So not only did Jesus heal our spiritual ailments and redeem us and set us free, but he also offers us physical healing. He also offers us mental healing, emotional healing. But more than anything, he offers us deliverance. You can be set free if you're oppressed. You can be set free. The Bible says that he has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. A sound mind is not filled with fear. A sound mind is not filled with depression and anxiety, thoughts of suicide, and any other things. You can fill it in the blank. A sound mind is filled with thoughts that are pleasing to the Lord. It's filled with peace. Remember, he is our Prince of Peace, is what Isaiah said, and he can set you free from having an oppressed mind from the enemy. God is good. He took our sicknesses and removed our diseases. So that means that cancer, diabetes, and all these other sicknesses are not greater than the name of Jesus. They still have to bow and submit to the name of Jesus. And he offers that to us. Because when he went on the cross, it says he took our sicknesses and removed our diseases. And lastly, he died so that we would live. Mark 10, 45, it says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. And that goes back to the title that we were talking about, Son of Man. In his humanity... Jesus came, and he came in the form of a servant. The Son of God took on the form of a servant that he would serve you and me. And it says that he will to give his life as a ransom for many. Not everybody will accept Jesus, but the gift is on the table. And the Bible says to seek the Lord while he can still be found. And Jesus is the way to that. He is the way to salvation. 
And so this is why, you know, when we look at Christmas during this time, it's this that we want to reflect on. Spend time with your family. Spend time with those that you love and give and enjoy the, the holiday. But remember why we celebrate it. Remember who it's really about and what it's really about. It's not just the birth of Jesus, but it's the life and death and resurrection that came from the birth of Jesus. We celebrate his whole life and we give God thanks that through him, we have eternal life. So I hope that this message has blessed you. And if it has, leave us a rating on this podcast and um, share this with somebody that you believe it will be a blessing to. And that way we can get the word of God out to those who need it. So look forward to seeing you on the next episode. I hope you all have a great holiday with your family and God bless you.